We're back with a non-ecstasy of influence movie. It's non-ecstasy. Yeah. Yeah. It's non-ecstasy. We're not taking ecstasy while we watch this movie. You're definitely not on ecstasy. It is too early <laughs> on a Saturday morning for that. We're not taking ecstasy, but, uh, and this isn't ecstasy of it. Also, we haven't mentioned the fact that like Mad Max 2 was part of the ecstasy of influence list of Guillermo del Toro movies. No, because this is not a movie that influenced Guillermo del Toro. It is a movie that Guillermo del Toro influenced. Yeah. He produced this movie. He not only produced it, he came up with a story for this movie. He uh, he was for a while attached to direct this movie. Uh, it was kind of his his baby. And like all babies, we sometimes have to let them go. <laughs> this baby, too independent. Gotta let it go. Yep. We sometimes have to take our babies and give our babies to a Norwegian film director <laughs> and let them go. That's that's how that's what parenting is like. No, uh, Guillermo del Toro. Th- so this movie is, of course, scary stories to tell in the dark from twenty nineteen. Finally. Finally, a movie you've been waiting a long time for. I've I saw this movie in the theaters. Yeah, but you've been waiting to cover it on this show. Yeah, I was supposed to cover it with Lil, but then you know stuff happened. Stuff happened. Relationships changed. Uh, years went by. <laughs> And uh, yes, yeah, so scary stories tell in the dark. Uh, Game of the Toros was attached to it, I think, in like 2016. Uh, but it goes back way further than that. He first saw the artwork to Scary Stories, saw the book, and was like, "This artwork is amazing." He bought the original copies of a bunch of the illustrations uh, to by Stephen Gamble, uh Before I assumed, after he got big and famous and rich. Like, to me, that's that makes sense. Like, I'm rich and famous now. I'm going to buy all this art. No, apparently he's like, I didn't have any money. I didn't even own my car outright. But I, like, mortgaged my house or whatever and, like, bought a bunch of original artwork for however many thousands. Of... A pretty irresponsible purchase, I would say. Very Guillermo del Toro, though. It's impulsive. I would say it's an impulsive act. Maybe, maybe... <laughs> Maybe me and Guillermo del Toro are not as different as we thought we were. Uh, yeah, I, I can sympathize with his with his impulsive purchase. I don't think Alana would let you remortgage the house in order to buy artwork, though. He didn't mortgage his house. He owed a lot on his mortgage and didn't own his car. Uh, that's what it was. Uh, he said, they were so powerful, I couldn't let them go. They're a part of my young imagination. So in a sense, it is part of the ecstasy of influence. Yeah, I guess. I guess you could say that. Um, yeah, because he 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 discovered the books and the illustrations decades ago, and mm-hmm. they always sat with him and sort of influenced, I guess, maybe his like style, his outlook on life. We've discussed scary stories to tell in the dark before. Mm-hmm. Um, on one of our past uh, one of our past episodes about a story that ended up in one of the scary stories books. Mm-hmm. What one was it? The two little I don't kids. Remember. It was like two little kids. Ah, it was like a fairy story. The 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 box, like the the two little kids who encounter a guy with a box in the woods, and there's something in oh, the box. Oh, is it the mom? The mom story. Yeah, yeah. The new mother story. The drum, some kind of drum. Mm-hmm. I don't remember, and I'm not gonna look it up. <laughs> I might be getting. There were a lot of fairy stories we covered. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm looking it up. <laughs> it was yeah, and it was one of those stories that ended up in scare. That had a definite author. But then it became part of like the oral tradition immediately, and then it ended up in scary stories to tell in the dark without crediting the original author because people were like, I don't know, this is just some sort of folk story, even though it wasn't. It was, mm-hmm. it was intentionally created. I think there's a lot of stuff in scary stories to tell in the dark that doesn't credit the original author or the scholarship of which is a little sus because uh, Alvin yeah. Alvin Schwartz didn't quite do all the homework he maybe should, have, even though he was a respected folklorist. Uh, mm-hmm. An author, like he did his work, but there was, a, I mean, this pre-internet and stuff, so there was just a lot of stuff that maybe slipped through his slipped through the cracks. Um, but yes, for for listeners out there, the scary stories telling the dark books were a series of three books for children, filled with basically campfire stories, uh, a lot of humorous ghost stories, uh, uh, sort of creepy little tales that were mostly famous because the illustrations uh, by Stephen Gamel are among the most horrifying things ever ever devised by humankind, uh, but then mm-hmm. put into a series of books, presumably for little children, 
that were read to us by our librarian at elementary school. Or read by ourselves. In read by our yourselves. Room. Because by the time you were in elementary school, they were not reading scary stories to tell in the dark. They were among the most- You did, however, buy those books for me, and mm -hmm. I read them on my own and scarred myself mentally. As well, you should. all children should be scarred by Stephen Gamble's illustrations. Uh, they are uh, buck wild. And I would say that this movie is mostly an adaptation of the drawings. Uh, because Gamble del Toro had the option to turn this into an anthology film and was like, no, I want to turn it into a story that incorporates mm -hmm. elements of several other scary story stories. So not yeah. doing a direct adaptation of the book, sort of doing like uh, an homage to the impact mm -hmm. the book had on children, uh, I guess I should say. Uh, but we'll discuss yes. all that when we discuss the plot of the film. Uh, now, you mentioned you saw this in the theater. I did. It was very good. Uh, who'd you see I'm it looking, with? I saw it with Lil and my mom and my aunt. Mm. Or uh, maybe just my mom. Me and, me and Lil sat separately. Oh, okay. I want to know what the critics have to say about this movie. Oh, it didn't do too bad. No, uh, it 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 got pretty good, pretty good uh, reviews. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd say like you know, good to good to great, not good to great, but like good to pretty, really good. Um, mm -hmm. It did okay. There's a sequel being planned, so uh, you know, like I think COVID got in the way of of fast tracking that. So because uh, mm -hmm. there's a billion more stories they can do and billion more illustrations, yeah. but uh. But I'm interested in just taking a look at this movie. You want to take a look at this movie? You know, yeah. You know, it's funny because my introduction to Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was actually not from the books because I had a bunch of really weird, freakish friends mm -hmm. <laughs> when I was in elementary school. So we would tell each other these stories all oh. the time, except for I didn't know they were getting their stories from anywhere. So I was just making up stories to tell them, and they were just telling me scary story stories. Yeah. So, you know, not an equal exchange, but whatever. And many of the stories in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, again, aren't that scary. It's the drawings. Uh, the story of the Viper is an extended joke. It's just a, ga a, a pun. It's just a build-up to a pun. So there's stuff in there that just isn't supposed to be scary, but it makes little kids laugh or go, ooh, and then... Some of them are pretty freaky, though. You read the next book. So, uh... Let's dive in. Let's watch this a movie. A movie. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us here for Scary Stories Tell in the Dark. I'm Phil. See you later. What is it? <laughs> that sounded like you were going to say goodbye. I'm not. I'm building up to it. I am Phil. And I'm Willow. And it's, it's Del, Del Toro, Toro time. time. So what is the what are the books Scary Stories Tell in the Dark about, just to remind our friend? They're not really about anything. Yeah. They're just sort of campfire stories. Most of them aren't scary, and they just sort of... The reason they're so famous is, like you said, because of the drawings. Yeah. Campfire stories, uh, a lot of urban legends, mm -hmm. some funny songs, some things that are just basically jokes. It's a, it's a smorgasbord. It's like the Holy Bible. It's a bunch of, it's a collection of different writings. I really hope we get comments on this, admonishing it's us for comparing this children's series to the Holy Bible. Basically the Holy Bible, especially considering that the first two books came out in the 80s, then there was a jump in time, and then the third book came out in the 90s. Actually, a lot of the, several of the stories are from the third book. Uh, and I'm surprised that I was familiar with them just because the third book came out in like 90, like when I was in high school, I think, uh, the reason 91. you were familiar with them probably is because I used to tell those stories. That's true. They are pretty common stories. It's, it's, those were the stories that my peers grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that was the third book of the nineties. That was like the book that the parents got their kids. <clears throat> right. Um, or their older siblings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so those were the stories I grew up with. And the stories were generally, they were like divided into, it wasn't just a collection of stories. Like mm -hmm. there was an introduction. The stories had a little, like some footnotes about them and they were divided into chapters. Like the first mm -hmm. book is divided into, ah, and it's got like jump scare stories. Mm -hmm. And then like the, he heard footsteps coming up the cellar stairs section, which is all mm -hmm. about things that creep up on you. So the books the, the the fact that the, the idea behind the movie though is that they sort of forwent all that 
and we're like, this is going to be a movie about a plot mm-hmm. that the stories kind of figure into, some of the stories. So what's this plot? The plot is a group of teens. I can't remember any of their names. Of course you can't. I never remember the names of any of the characters in any of the movies we watch. <laughs> um, they go to a haunted house. There's a Stephen King bully who ends up dying, as all, the, all of them do. Um, but not at the haunted house. That's later. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let me restart that summary. <laughs> okay. okay, so a group of, teenagers. A group of, a group of teens. It's Halloween. They're, are they Are they cool teens? No. Um, I mean, yes, to me, but... <laughs> to you, right. Uh, they are of... S- Stella, mm-hmm. Augie, mm-hmm. and Chuck. Mm-hmm. And it's 1968. Now, remember that, because that's very important. They are getting vengeance on their childhood bully who steals their candy every year. So they go trick-or-treating, and then they have to run away from him because he goes bonkers. Yeah, they throw poop at him. Yeah. Um, and then they go to a haunted house. They get trapped mm-hmm. in the basement of the haunted house by the bully. They awaken the evil spirit who starts they, killing people one by one. They find a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the book has spooky stories. You might say it has scary stories in it <laughs> to tell in the dark. Um, I like the plot of this movie. <clears throat> okay. What is the plot of this movie? Basically. What uh, is the they... lore of this movie? Okay, so I can't remember any of the names of any of these people. Uh, what's her yeah. name? The main villain? Sarah, Sarah Bellows. Sarah Bellows uh, was accused of poisoning children in the town mm-hmm. um, after being locked in the basement by her family. Uh, and so now the story is that if you ask her to tell you a scary story, she'll write you into a story and kill you. Um, so why would you ask her to tell you a scary story then? Because it's a ghost story. It's not supposed to be real. But once you know that she's going to kill you, why would you do it? Because it's not real. <laughs> I don't understand what your question is. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm saying is, I th- I thought that she just told these stories to kids, and only later they discovered that they were killing people. Or yeah, that that's legend. what I'm... The, okay. the, I thought the legend pe- is that she, she... I thought she meant people were like, go ask her to tell you a story and it'll kill you. No. Okay. What I think you're the only one who misunderstood me there. What happened was she was locked in the basement by her family. Yes. The town was like, oh, shoot, our children are dying because she's poisoning them. Yes. And then she died. And now they're like, and she's coming back from the dead to kill people with her stories. Okay. They find her book mm-hmm. and they ta- they steal it. Yeah. They Is steal it stealing? the book. It's archaeology. They, they, archaeolo- <laughs> they, they do an archaeological dig and they take an artifact. So Stella is the main character, kind of, and she's a, a writer? Um, I guess. <laughs> so she takes this book, and then all heck breaks loose. You can say hell. All heck breaks hell. So what happens first? Who's our first victim? The first victim is the bully. And his name is Tommy, boy. Mm-hmm. And he has a sister named no. Ruth. No. Mm-hmm. No. Tommy doesn't have a sister. He, he has, has a girlfriend named Ruth. Who is the sister of weird kid. Charlie. Chuck. Chuck. Yeah. Charlie Chuck. She is pretty, but she's not vacuous. She's just uh, misunderstood, I guess. She's uh, just a bratty teenager. But like she's, not, are. she's not happy with Tommy. She's, she chewed him out at one point. There's like a very limited dating pool in this town. <laughs> right. There's also Ramon. Yeah. And there's one other guy, Augie. There's a boy named Ramon who is in town. He is discriminated against because it is 1968 and he is Mexican. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's with them in the, in the basement. He gets yeah. locked in with them. And then, and then they, they steal the book. So Ramon is part of this. Remember that. It's important. <laughs> He's What's the love the... interest of the main character. What is the first scary story to tell in the dark that happens? It's Harold. Who is Harold? The purple crayon boy? No. That sounds delightful. <laughs> it would be funny if it was Harold, but then it was Harold and the purple crayon. I that you just unlocked a deep, Which deep is memory. Kind of the plot of this book. Everything he draws comes to life. That's not the plot of the book at all. The movie. Harold is kind of Sarah Bellows, if you think about it. 
No, because that's not the whatever. I'm not going to get into an argument. Harold with you about was a, the... a little boy who was locked in a basement by his parents, and he had a magic crayon that helped him escape. All right, that's the end of this episode. <laughs> Tommy boy, are you gonna are you gonna are you gonna at least pretend to be interested in talking about this movie? <laughs> I am interested in talking about this movie. Tommy boy is our bully, and he gets locked in a corn forest. <laughs> That was me. That was all me that said that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Willow referred to the cornfield as we as a corn forest. She could not remember what a cornfield was called. Tommy gets locked in his family's corn forest. There is a a scarecrow in there that for some reason was designed by Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, who made this scarecrow? I mean, even before the magic of the story made it all spooky, it was absolutely horrifying. So the story of Harold in the book, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, is that there are these two guys, Tommy and Alfred, who build a scarecrow, and they build the scarecrow to look like this guy named Harold, who they hate, uh, and then they beat it up. They beat up the scarecrow a lot. And they, they mistreat it. It's actually a pretty long story for scary stories to tell in the dark. Harold comes to life. He climbs up on the roof of the house, trotting back and forth, as it says, all day and all night. He trots across the roof, trots back and forth. Get a shotgun. Uh, he climbs down and stands in the pasture in the morning, and then he goes back up on the house at night. The next day, they have to take the cows into the valley. Tommy goes back for milking stools. He doesn't just come back. Alfred <laughs> goes back looking for him. And when he gets to the house, uh, he sees that Harold has skinned Tommy alive and stretched out his bloody skin to dry in the sun on the roof of their house. That's the story of Harold. I actually like the movie version better. Why? What happens in the movie? Well, he starts vomiting straw and like suffocating and turning into a scarecrow. Excuse me. It's called strawmiting. <laughs> I think that that's, I mean, obviously being skinned alive sucks. Uh-huh. You die, though. But I think that visually, obviously they couldn't put that in this movie because that would make the movie rated R. <laughs> and, I mean, this, again, is a teen movie, so they couldn't make it rated R. Uh, yes. So I think that w w the way they did it with him coughing up and, like, ripping out straw from his own wounds is really cool. Yes. I thought it was um, really scary spooky so the skin tearing off was originally filmed mm -hmm. the boy getting skinned and they had to cut it like you said for the mpaa to get the pg-13 rating mm -hmm. uh, originally he was going to be skinned but you're right there is something very uh very jarring about this teenage boy who also is a racist by the way mm -hmm. he says racist things and writes racist words on the, the on, on ramon's car i'm allowed to say ramon like that because i myself I'm Mexican. <laughs> he writes racist things on Ramon's car, and he gets his comeuppance by the Scarecrow. So clearly these stories are only going after genuinely bad people, right? No. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he turns into, I thought it was going to come. They never figure out that he's gotten turned into Harold, right? Like, they, like the kids do, but like no one else does. I mean, it's 1968. How advanced was DNA testing back then? I... <laughs> Non-existent is the answer to that question. What I'm saying is... The the scarecrow the next day is wearing his Letterman jacket. But I think the, I think what they're trying to show in that is that the scarecrow is him. Yes. Yeah. The scarecrow is him, but you never like the town's never like ah oh, he got turned into a scarecrow well, like obviously not because no one's going to th no one believes in magic in this town and the scarecrow's skin is very decomposed and like leathery. Yeah, how so they make obviously that that's face? impossible. How they make the scarecrow face. Like the family. They built the Scarecrow. This is owned by Tommy's family. What is that face supposed to be made out of before it turns into a monster? Skin. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying there was already problems going on before the stories well, came Well, clearly to there was problems going on in that family, at least. I mean, so, I'd hate to meet Tommy's dad, considering how Tommy turned out. What's funny is Tommy's mom seems fine. She's like, go get the chicken eggs. That's how he, why he, he has to go into the corn forest she, to get the chicken she eggs. She literally was like what the hell are you doing go get the chicken eggs i don't know where you got that because he forgot to get like, the chicken eggs she was screaming at him why did he have to go into the corn forest to get chicken eggs why was their chicken coop the size of my house oh times? that's right <laughs> it's like this horrible horrible haunted mansion of a chicken coop with no door uh 
so yeah, so he gets killed, turned into a scarecrow. Uh, the next story is uh, based on the big toe. This one used to freak me out when I was younger. So what is the so the actual story of the big toe? Uh, if you remember, is from the first scary stories to tell in the dark. Do you remember how that story goes? I only know the one that was told to me by my friends. And it's what's a, the basic story? It's pretty simple. Basically, a woman goes, finds a toe in her yard, cuts it off, puts it in some stew. Right. They eat the the toe, and then in the distance, there's a voice, and it says, "Where is my toe?" And it gets closer and closer during the night, and the main character, the little boy, is hiding in his bed. Yeah. And then at the end, the voice is right outside, or right by the bed and he can't see anything because he's under the blankets yeah something like that mm-hmm. and then like you usually when you tell the story you're you're going where's my toe and then at the very end you go you have it or something mm-hmm. and you scream it and everyone around the campfire jumps uh uh and uh the the drawing for the book in scary stories still in the dark that's pretty much what happens boy the boy finds the toe they put it in the soup uh, this, the 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 scary picture in the in the book is 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 the boy. <laughs> it's the drawing of the little boy finding the toe is horrifying. <laughs> like he's a he's a monster kid. Um, I know that when I was younger and we used to tell the toe, we the, the, tell a story, not tell the toe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, when I first heard it, I think that we had to come up with the person telling it had to come up with some sort of justification for why they ate the toe. So. It was told during, like, the Great Depression or something when food wasn't readily available and they needed to mm. find a toe. They yeah. needed to find, like, protein or something. They needed to soup. find a toe. Yeah. <laughs> They're starving because they only eat toes. <laughs> um, also, I think in one version, the monster was a giant. Oh, there's a million different versions. Uh, a really famous version of this one is called Taily Poe or Taily Bone. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's about a guy mm-hmm. who chop, chops the tail off a weird creature and eats it. And then, the, mm-hmm. where's my taily bone or taily po, depending on which version of the story you yeah. used to try to. It's a common story. And the and the people mm-hmm. get their comeuppance at the end for eating something they found for, sticking out of the ground. Well, I mean, technically they did chop off a body part of a still living creature. <laughs> I assumed it was supposed to be a corpse. Yeah, I mean, in this version it is. So... This happens to not Augie. Is it Augie? It is Augie. It's Augie, who is established earlier on in the story as being very particular about what he eats. Uh, he's constantly like chastising our 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 uh, protagonist for eating junk food, and, and he's the Eddie of this story. He, he the who, who's the Eddie? What are you talking about? <laughs> it. Oh yeah, the hypochondriac. <laughs> uh, yeah, played by Gabriel Rush. Who uh, our audience might know from such uh, appearances as uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, um, Better Call Saul. Uh, that's about it. He's in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, he's a young actor. Um, and how does he come across the toe, though? What What's the... His parents are out of town. Okay. And he's like, what should I eat? There's nothing in here. And his mom's like, I don't know, make something. And he's like, I'll eat this stew. And his mom's like, what stew? And he's like, you know, the stew with a big red pot. And she's like, no one made any stew. What are you talking about? He's like, I'm going to eat it anyways. And then he hangs Mm -hmm. up. He finds a pot of stew in his fridge. It's ice cold. And no one knows where it came from. (laughs) And And the character who is so hypochondriac, he won't eat anything processed, decides to just gobble down some cold stew i think that this is part of the magic of the story all right that's what i'm going with (laughs) i think that the the story is sort of pushing people to follow along it doesn't have complete control so if they're unaware that they're experiencing the story they go along with it because they have this urge to do so i guess uh, they also try to tie in the stories with people's fears. Like we saw Tommy like beating up the scarecrow Harold in the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like he he doesn't like it. It freaks him out. And so uh, Augie doesn't like to eat gross things. Uh, so he eats a toe. He doesn't though. But he doesn't. He spits it out. Yeah. It is pretty gross. Yeah. And then he gets the scariest scene in the whole movie. Uh-huh. He gets dragged into the wall. <laughs> Right. From under the uh, bed. He tries to... Uh, gr- something grabs him from under the bed, 
tries to claw, he tries to hold on with his fingernails and he gouges into the wood. He gets pulled into the un- unknown, into the unknown world. And his parents uh, don't come home after finding out their kid is missing. They're just like, whatever. You're right. We never find out what happened. There's no follow-up to that. Uh, but he does disappear. Uh, mm-hmm. Our next our next victim is Ruth. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens to And this is probably this the, the se- sequence that's most like the sequence in the books. It's also one of the most disturbing sequences in a movie ever, ever. Uh, also another sequence that had to be toned down for the MPAA. Good. Uh, uh, what happens to Ruth? So she's gotten bitten by a spider in the basement. Okay. And she has a big bump on her face, and she's about to go to her play. And what play she, are they doing? I don't. I don't heckin' remember. Oh my god! You just swore. Now I have to do extra work. <laughs> I can't remember. I actually, when we were watching the movie, I actually wrote it down and like searched to make sure that the rights would have been released. Oh, that's by right. This I said, are you are you checking to see if this if the play had come out at this point we had been discussing why this movie doesn't make sense in the time period that it's in the entire movie is said this movie is set in 1968 but it looks like it's set in the 1970s because everyone has hair from 2019 Mm -hmm. and that you know sort of long longish they're just wearing their hair however they want to it does not look like teenagers, but it's not long hair like late sixties hair. Mm-hmm. It's styled. They just look like kids who came out of just they they could be walking down the street today. There's n- except for constant references to Richard Nixon. I actually wrote that down. I was like, why is this so friggin' important? <laughs> they keep showing Richard Nixon uh, and talking about Vietnam. Vietnam kind of comes into play. You find out that Ramon fled. Uh, the states to avoid getting drafted into the into vietnam mm-hmm. um but that's it like and that's kind of why ramon has shown up in town he's a stranger he's he's driving around uh in, in his car but living out of his car but that's it that's why he's in town that's the only reason this is set in 1960 the books aren't from the 1960s the stories aren't from the 1960s it's just that's it's just sort of randomly said in the sixties, but then it doesn't even commit to, I don't know. It, it bothered, it bothered me. And I know it bothered you a little bit. Yeah. No, it doesn't okay. make any sense. I mean, for the most part, they didn't have to put in, they could have just left it unspoken. So already. So, so for me, this is already like, we have the movie trying to be a period piece. We have the movie not being an anthology film, but being a, try to put a narrative around the scary stories to tell in the dark. And then we have it being like, okay, well, the scary stories tell the dark all have to tie in with the characters' particular fears, and we haven't even gotten to the mercury in the water yet. So, uh, <laughs> what happens to Ruth? What's the spot on her on her cheek? It's the spiders laid a bunch of eggs in her cheek. Gross, creepy. They all burst ha- out of her face and bite her, but yeah. she survives because they go into they track her down, go into the bathroom, and throw water all over her. She survives, but her cheek isn't doing too well. And she's not doing too well. No, her cheek explodes. Like the original shots, you can sort of see it. It's pretty quick, mm-hmm. but you see that like her cheek is like burst open, and all these baby spiders are are, are flooding all over. If that her. happened to me, I think I'd shoot myself. Well, later on, her cheek is better. Uh, it's not better. It's stitched up. <laughs> it's stitched up, but uh, but yeah, she goes. She goes bazonkers and gets taken away to a to a mental institution mm-hmm. uh, because a bunch of spiders exploded out of her cheek uh i don't blame her maybe she just went to the hospital first she probably did go to the hospital first she had a bloody cheek um the way the original short story ends uh is that the girl has the big bump on her face she goes to take a hot bath mm-hmm. and then it bursts and all the spiders come out and that's it like nothing really happens uh but there is a, f- a picture accompanying it that is a nightmare of the giant gaping wound on the face with all the baby spiders coming out you're not sharing this are you i'm not sharing it okay good. Uh, but uh the girl has an expression on her face that that is saying basically looks like she's going well that's a hell of a thing <laughs> <laughs> which makes it even more disturbing like she's like huh uh i mean at that point you'd be in so much shock you'd probably just be like okay 
I guess this is happening now. So let, let's get into the into a little bit of the backstory on Sarah Bellows, who was locked in the basement because she was a witch. I um, I I want to say that I agree with you about them. What should they? I I think that had they had the Sarah Bellows and the scary stories to tell in the dark, and that's it, not the Vietnam, not the period piece, <laughs> not all of that, it would have been a much better movie. Um. I think that they were trying to make a lot of statements that they didn't wasn't necessary to make. to make in this movie. Like this is supposed to be a spooky movie, not a political piece. <laughs> For me, too much time was spent on what we're about to discuss, the Cerebello mm-hmm. stuff. Uh because I just didn't feel like it was necessary. Like there's a lot of investigating and looking at microfiche and tracking down stuff in libraries and i'm like i thought this was scary stories to tell in the dark like i want to see more ghosts and goblins but in any case they should have left the investigation and stuff to the um the scene where she gets transported back in time okay so we'll get to the time okay also time travel we'll get there's no time time travel it's part of the story as part of the story it's a time okay there's a time weird time loop in here we'll get to that first they discover that the bellows family had a mill and that the mill was poisoning the town's water supply with mercury and that Sarah Bellows figured this out. So they, they called her crazy. They, they sent her to an insane asylum. They locked her in the basement and that's when the family started disappearing originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause they were like, huh, the mill just shut down, even though it was like the backbone of the town. I wonder why that would happen. We find all this out through, through many investigations. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, they they go searching for and find the Bellows family's housekeeper's daughter, mm-hmm. who's there, Lulu. And how's Lulu doing? Pretty bad. She's not doing well. Uh, played by played by Lorraine Toussaint, who is a Trinidadian actor, who plays who was from who most people would know from Orange Is the New Black. Um, they find her and it's kind of a scene straight out of like, I felt kind of weird watching it because they have a black actor in the, in the movie basically playing like the voodoo lady. (laughs) I felt weird. I felt weird that they brought her in. She was like, Oh, like, I mean, she's Trinidadian. So she has an accent, but, uh, (laughs) like they just, I don't know. I felt weird about the scene, but in any case, what, what do we discover about Lulu? We don't really discover anything. <laughs> what happens? Why do they go visit her? Why do they bother her? Well, the, she makes it really clear that the that they had nothing to do with what Sarah did. That who had nothing to do with what Sarah did? That her mom that her mom was blamed for teaching Sarah witchcraft, but that was never a thing. Right. And I think that that's where it separates itself from the traditional like voodoo weird scenes. Right. And I think that that's where we. That's another statement that was made that wasn't necessary to be made, which is don't judge people by misrepresentations of the past. Right. There was a that's lot. That's right. Of, that's right. There's a lot of that too. There's a lot of weird, not weird in like the weird sense. Like there's statements that need to be made, but I think they really tried too hard with this movie to make it sort of a um a statement. Yes. Um, and instead they just sort of piled on to these weird stereotypes that now her daughter is in the scene with her her adult daughter mm-hmm. who is played by uh karen glaive karen glaive we have seen in crimson peak she played the maid she played the maid in crimson peak and she's also in shape of water she plays african-american wife i don't know who that was or <laughs> she's only listed as african-american wife so she's got gamma do toro background she's got game of otoro cred she's got game of otoro action just mm-hmm. just putting that out there uh she's also the best part of that scene i thought i like the daughter yeah <clears throat> she was good so all right so they go they figure all this stuff out now they go to the hospital to get the to get sarah bellows's like her her records mm-hmm. and while we're in there another scary story to tell in the dark happens Whose scary story is it this time? Chuck's. Chuck is the worst character in this whole movie. Why is Chuck the worst character? I hate him. What does Chuck do? <laughs> he has a 
He Let me rephrase magic... that. I hate how they wrote him. Chuck has a magic pen. Tell they me added... about Tell me about Chuck's wait. We spent so long talking about this. Tell me about Chuck's pen, please. He has a pen that if you tip it upside down, you can see boobies. Do you see the boobies in the movie though? Nope. No. You just take his word for it. How special is this pen though? Apparently it's the most important part of his personality. How do we know this though? Because can you (laughs) can you buy this pen? You can buy this pen. How much? You want to know how much it costs? How much does this pen cost? The pen costs $75. You can buy this pen for $75. You can buy this pen for $100. You can buy this pen. You can buy the actual Chuck pen at about 50 different places online (laughs) for different prices. Or if you want to spend your money on something even better... You can spend no money five thousand dollars on a oh. kryptonite prop from Smallville that looks like a ring pop. <laughs> There's quite a few Smallville props. I wish they had something from the one where the guy eats people from the first episode because I would have bought it and sent it to you. <laughs> <laughs> so. What happens to Chuck, your favorite character, who has the magic pen? Does the magic gets... pen save his life? No. It's the, the thing about the pen is that we know it's the most important part of his character because it's the one thing he leaves behind after he gets vanished. Right. And yep. he gets vanished by being squished to death or squished and absorbed to death by a marshmallow lady. So, okay. So the story this is... Mashed potato un- lady. Quote, unquote, based on is called The Dream. And it's about an artist who has a recurring dream uh, where she wakes up in, uh, in, a, in a house. She goes into a bedroom and uh, there's, there's large – the carpet is, is made up of large squares, look like trap doors. The windows are nailed shut and she goes to sleep in her dream. And then a woman with a pale face and black eyes and long black hair – will lean over her bed and say, this is an evil place, flee while you can. And she kind of keeps having this dream. She keeps having this dream. Uh, she ends up in the actual bedroom. The woman with the pale face and the black eyes and long black hair shows up. And the woman, the main character, the artist woman, leaves. And that's the way the story ends. Mm-hmm. She just leaves. That's, that's the whole story. It's mostly about just oh, it's a weird story. It's just supposed to be a weird story um what happened how does it what what comes into play in the movie it's just it's not a bedroom it's just the red room they say the red room mm-hmm. and we don't find this like right before this scene yeah Chuck- it's really weird i think that i i still think they had intended to have a dream sequence with him yeah. at some point because he brings it up Remember this reoccurring dream I've been having? And we're like, no, what, what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> All of a sudden, he starts talking about this recurring dream where he's in the red room. And we're like, wait, what? Like, you never mentioned this before. Like, he could have brought it up at any point during the beginning of the movie. And we would have been like, put that away for later. Nope. It's just all of a sudden. Right. Or he could have been like, ever since Augie died, I've been having this nightmare. And I think I'm worried that it means something. Yeah. So the the kids get caught sneaking around the hospital record room and the alarm sounds and that the red lights come on actually the kids don't get caught sneaking around the record room he gets caught because he starts sprinting away from some janitors oh that's right and the alarms go off and that turns the hallways red Mm -hmm. and what ends up happening the record room is called the red room which is why he refused to go with them that's right that's right um i forgot about that yeah ooh, mysterious so he, what it, the problem I have with this scene is that in the Harold scene, when Tommy is running from Harold, he's running through the corn forest and he'll turn a corner and Harold will be coming after him very slowly. So he'll run back, turn another corner and Harold will be there. And Harold can kind of like quantum leap around the corn forest until he's just behind him. The same exact thing happens with this lady. So it's the woman from the drawing in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And she looks pretty much like the drawing, mm-hmm. uh, except you can see her feet because she doesn't have feet in the drawing because she's peeking over a bed. 
and every time he uh, Chuck tries to run away, the, the the pale lady is there until he's literally surrounded by pale ladies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just sort of what do they do? They like absorb him. Yeah. Uh, you it looks kept pretty... calling her the mashed potato lady, and that ruined that scene for me forever. So thank you for that. She does look like she's made of mashed potatoes. It looks like a comfortable way to die. I disagree. She does look very. Do you know soft. how horrible suffocation is? It's awful. I don't mean the the stopping breathing part. I just mean the softness of the lady part. Yes, I love to be absorbed into the skin of someone else. I love looks... how skin feels against my skin. That's but seems we great. Do... But okay, and we'll come to back to this. We don't know for certain that he's actually dead. We just know that he was absorbed by the lady. Uh, he drops his pen though. We know and... for a fact that. Tommy is dead. Tommy is definitely dead. We don't know um, that Augie is dead because he was just dragged into the wall. Right. And we don't know that Chuck is dead because he's yeah. been absorbed by the oh, mashed potato Also, lady. Stella's mom has been missing for so long. Stella's mom? Yeah. It's like the whole point of why she's such an emotionally tragic character. Oh, was her um, mom left? Her mom left, but she they keep make it clear that she just sort of disappeared one day. Right, right. They keep, they keep saying your mother disappeared one day and it was assumed that she left the family. She's got a dad played by Dean Norris, who you might know from Better Call Saul. Um, a lot of people in, in Breaking Bad. Uh, uh, Dean Norris, famous actor. He shows up in a lot of movies. Um, uh, who you think is going to be like a terrible dad, like drunk dad, abusive dad. But he actually ends up being nice dad, compassionate dad. Uh, in this movie, which is probably the my 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 opinion, best scene in the movie. Yeah, no, that the, was that was yeah. The phone call between uh between the dad and between her and her dad. I was like, oh wow, look at that scene from another movie. All of a sudden, uh, but Dean Norris. That was a very Guillermo del Toro scene. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Dealing with parenthood and mm-hmm. uh, and motherhood. Yeah. Uh, we find out that that Ramon. We find out Ramon fled to Canada to avoid being drafted because his brother was killed in the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, he and Stella get arrested. For breaking taken into to the, the hospital. Mm, taken to, uh, taken to the, uh, the police station. Mm-hmm. Now, now comes our next, our next movie. I mean, our next story for the movie. Me, Ty Doty Walker. Now, you know this story. You told me this story mm-hmm. when you were a little kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to peri- freak me out. There was a period of time when, there's, in all children's lives, but I remember this d- very much from yours and from Mitzi. There's two two major stepping like developmental points in a little kid's life. They turn they learn how to tell jokes. They learn how to tell scary stories. They're kind of the same thing mm-hmm. because none of them will make any sense, and they all take about thirty minutes to tell. Yep. <laughs> uh, uh, but you went through a period where you're telling jokes. Then you went through a period where you're telling scary stories. And Mitai Doti Walker was one that you told a lot. Also, uh, I never stopped going through that period where I told scary stories. Scary stories. I, like, I like to think they've gotten better. Yes. Uh... <laughs> so the basic idea behind Mitai Doti Walker is it's a story that it's kind of like, where's my toe? Uh, the, Can I the tell point... this one? But the point of the story is, of course, how creepy the thing is to say. Mm-hmm. So how does the story go that you remember? So the story is there was a group of boys and one of the boys gets dared to go mm. spend the night in a haunted house in the woods where people disappear. Mm. And he's like, fine, I'll do it. And I'll bring my dog with me. So he goes to spend the night in the house. And as he's he's preparing to go to sleep, he hears in the distance, me, Ty, Doty, Walker. Um, or in another version of the story, the dog starts talking. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know what's happening, but he goes to bed and he wakes up and the dog is staring at the fireplace saying, me, Ty, Doty, Walker, still. And a bunch of, it happens like six times, at least in the version I heard. And Mm. eventually he hears something fall down the chimney and boom, 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 it's a head. And that's where the story ends. At least the one that I was told. And the the dog dies of fear. Yes. Uh, so and in then the he runs st- out of the house screaming and doesn't get the money that he was bedded. So in Scary Stories Still in the Dark, he's offered money to stay in the house by an old man or a rich man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hears Mita Dodi Walker and the dog responds, Lynchy Kinchy, Kali Molly, Dingo, right. Dingo. 
and and then yeah the head falls down the dog dies a bloody head and that's the mm-hmm. drawing from the book is a is a it's a it's a severed head with a beard just an old man's head mm-hmm. uh the dog dies uh and the head swivels around looks at the boy and screams and that's when you're telling the story around the fireplace or around the fire the fire i mean i guess you could be sitting around a fireplace when you're telling the story around the fire that's where you go like and the head slowly turned and ah and you scream and everyone screams and that's it mm-hmm. uh what happens in the movie in the movie they're at the cop station which... the cop station the co- the the cop forest <laughs> which apparates a fireplace into the middle of the station which confused me a lot for a second. <laughs> You're like, where's this fire? Where The cop station has a fireplace. And I was like, no, that wasn't there before. <laughs> right. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, because the police officer looked confused as well. And the dog is staring at the fireplace like, roar, 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 like a dog mm-hmm. does. And then the, the Stella's like, is there something going on? And the cop's like, shut up. <laughs> the cop is the worst. He's a terrible man. I hate him. Uh. And the dog keeps barking and he's looking at the fireplace and then the head falls out of the fireplace and turns around and looks at him and he takes out his gun and starts shooting. I don't know what happens to the dog. It kind of just disappears. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of just stops being important. Yeah. And then a bunch of body parts fall out and it turns into a lanky man and he kills the cop and he's starting to get to Ramon, which leads to the single creepiest thing, but least... This is the least convenient monster that Sarah Bellows has created out of her magic book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's just a man <laughs> who can mm-hmm. squeeze into small spaces. Yes. But the way that they escape is that Stella's like, oh, crap, we got to escape. So she gets the keys and she unlocks the door. And then the thing is trying to squeeze its way through the bars. And Ramon escapes and it can't get out of the bars right away. So they get away. Right. Uh... Uh, the, the the man is referred to as the jangly man. Mm-hmm. He's played by Troy James, who is a contortionist mm-hmm. and is jangly. This um, is the part where we paused the movie and I told you how you mentally scarred me with Asian short horror films when I was younger. Yes. Uh, J-horror. Uh, I, I showed them to you and you were not happy. Um, but he's a jangly guy. He's a jangly man. He We know him from the TV series The Strain. Where he played uh, several different vampires. He did not uh, play our favorite vampire, though, who was no, he... the dorky, the dorky <laughs> <No>. main villain. <laughs> we know him from Channel Zero, mm-hmm. where he played Pretzel Jack. Which one was Pretzel Jack? Uh, jangly Man. <laughs> uh, and he's on the TV series The Flash, where he plays Ragdoll. You may know him from that. Uh, he is. Oh, and he's in Nightmare Alley. He plays the Snake Man in Nightmare Alley. Uh, Who's the, the Snake side... Man? Uh, the contortionist at the sideshow. Like, I think it's the Ooh. very end. I looked up the pretzel man, by the way. Yes. Pretzel um, Jack. Oh, and he plays Baba Yaga in the latest that Hellboy movie that came out. That no one liked. That no one liked. But isn't as bad as people seem to think it is. Yeah, Troy James. Big props. We love our jangly men. We love our lanky boys. We love mm-hmm. our we love Guillermo del Toro's and his director's insistence on practical effects. There's a lot of practical effects in this movie, by the way. Um, a lot of in-camera effects, and the jangly man is one of them. Uh, he flips, he flops, he jangles around because he Troy... He scatters. Uh, Javier Botet, Javier Botet, Javier, 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 who we know from a uh, past movie. Uh, well, he, he played Slender Man in The Slender Man. I saw he, that movie in the theater. He played the hobo in It. He played most of the ghosts in Crimson Peak. He's, uh, he's another jangly man, a contortionist. He played Mama in Mama. Uh, he's in this movie, and he played the Big Toe Ghost, who I believe the Big Toe Ghost is based on the drawing from the Haunted House Scary Story to Tell in the Dark. The most famous Scary Story to Tell in the Dark picture is the woman from the Haunted House, and of course you could not not have her, so this was the, yeah, so the, the Big mm-hmm. Toe Ghost was, was based on the Haunted House. I'm surprised um, they didn't base Sarah Bellows off of her. Hard to talk. Harder to talk. Yeah, Sarah Bellows just looks like a generic, like, Skella ghost yeah. uh, when you see her. She has Which, very, yeah. very pretty hair, though. She's going to do. Can't kill she's, that hair. She's awesome. He gets absorbed. Oh, the jangly man is coming after them. They flee from the jangly man. They run to the Bellows house. 
And then the movie decides to throw yet another plot development point at us. What happens? It's time travel. Time travel occurs. Who it's just time another travel? story, though. Is it? It is. It is the, it's the haunted house story. Is it? Yeah. We see it start writing itself. Um, she goes to the, the house and starts experiencing all of this wacky stuff. It's technically supposed to be like the ghost of the past residents are just forcing her to relive one of the most traumatic moments that was in the house. Yeah. Which is why I think they should have based Sarah Bellos off of the woman from that story. But whatever. Right. And so she's taken the place of Sarah Bellos when they're locking her in the basement. And it's horrible and traumatizing. And she gets dragged kicking and screaming into the basement. Then she... that The... The, the, it's a long scene that's long drawn out because there's also the chase scene going on with the jangly man and Ramon in the mm-hmm. modern day the, house. The jangly, the jangly man is yelling at Ramon about how he was a draft dodger, by the way. Yeah. And I think that I think that that's kind of where they went wrong with Ramon's backstory because he's not scared of the war. He's scared of ending up like his brother who he says oh. came back to them in pieces. Piece, piece by piece. I mean, that's clearly why they did it mm-hmm. that way. They, they put the jangly man together like his brother we put together... I think it's supposed to be like guilt, I guess, that like his but, like, brother. Did... They didn't even like make the jangly man be his brother because I think that right. would have been a more interesting, whatever. Um, right. so <laughs> I she don't goes really back care. in time. Yeah, she goes back in time, uh, and she meets with Sarah Bellos, and she's like, "Look, what you're doing, I understand why you're doing it, but everything that you're doing now is on you, and it is not on the trauma that was caused to you by your family. And if you stop doing it, I'll tell the story. I'll tell the true story." And Sarah Bellis is like, yee, okay, and then disappears. Yeah, Stella writes the story in her own blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's apparently probably pretty tired when she's done. Actually, I think it was, I think the gist that I got from it was that it was a magic pen. Oh. Did it, um, if you turn it upside down. To... It was a magic pen, and she cut her finger on it, and then it just used her blood. Okay. Like a I Harry Potter you. pen. Harry Potter pen. It wrote the entire story carved into her body, like a scar, like it did in Harry Potter. <laughs> what a joy. Um, uh, and then, so yeah, so then the monsters go away. She publishes the story in the in the local in the local paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ramon goes to Vietnam. Yep. I'm like, oh, no, wait, wait, what? Why is that the way you're ending this? <laughs> That's terrible. He's supposed to go to Nam? Yeah. Uh, and then she and Ruth and her dad. Oh, because she finds out from her dad. She cries. A, the moving scene is she. Her dad tells her it's not her fault that her mom disappeared. She doesn't know. He doesn't know why the mom disappeared. Mm-hmm. They get in the car, and it's her, her and her dad and Ruth, mm-hmm. who, as you said, has like a, stitches now. And the book. And they're gonna find a way to bring back the people who were. Where are they going? Because everything happened in the town. Mm-hmm. I think, where at least they... from what I'm gathering, it was the setup for a sequel where they have to go and they find more books or more people like Sarah Bellows who were able to do things like this. Um, so they're hunting down stories of things like this happening. Uh, and you know what? At that point, they probably have to get out of town because like a cop was murdered and Stella had just escaped from prison, and <laughs> all of their it's, friends disappeared. <laughs> all the friends disappeared. There's dead people in their wake. Uh, it, it's such a weird ending. Because, again, where are they? Like, we're going to find moving. them. We're going to find them. And I'm like, wow. I don't understand. Like, the, everything happens in the town. So there's obviously a setup for a sequel. A sequel <laughs> is being planned. Which um, I'm excited about. Uh, I assume it'll be a few years later at this point because uh, everyone's considerably older now. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't talk about Zo- Zo- Zoe Coletti, who is the lead. I loved her. Um, she's good. Uh, you may know her from A Boy Called Christmas, which came out last year. Uh, you may know her from the movie Annie or the movie Skin or the TV series Rubicon. Uh, oh, but mostly Fear of the Walking Dead. She's in season six of Fear of the Walking Dead. Um, she also has a new another show coming out called Boo B Word, except I'm not going to say the B word. Uh. I think that they did the wrong thing with her backstory. 
I think that had her, had they not been like, oh, her, like, had they not had it set in stone at the beginning that their mother left, that her mother left, um, or that's what she thought happened, it would have been much more interesting if her mother had just disappeared and then the town just assumed that she left, but she never really believed that her mother left. Right. Um, and that once, once this kind of stuff starts happening, she's like, maybe this is what happened to my mother. And she looks through the book and finds the name or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. There's so many ways they could have simplified this story. Mm-hmm. And when I was talking to you about off mic was there's, they ended up going in the same direction with this one that Goosebumps did, which is mm-hmm. we're not going to tell these stories really. We're going to have a completely new story that uses as if the stories were real or like they're trapped in the book and they all come to life. And what I was hoping for was a more of the aesthetic of the books. Like mm-hmm. they recreated the looks of the monsters really well. But I was hoping the whole movie would have like a feel of the book, like with that creepiest. I was like, it's Guillermo Toro's production. Like, I would go have nuts. loved loved to see more of the Halloween night stuff. Right. Um, yes. Because I think that having mon- having real monsters blending in with the mystique of Halloween and like the kids running around and stuff while these other kids are trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. It would have been more interesting or have like the Herald scene, have Tommy be like, what are you doing? Uh, dip. I can't say that word on this podcast and assume that one of his friends has like put on the Herald mask and like stuff and like is tracing after him. Right. Instead of just having him freak out right away. But like, it would have been something if the whole town was like, kind of like under this, like, uh i was gonna say alvin schwartz but not alvin schwartz uh stephen gamel if the whole town was under this like stephen gamel curse and everything was just creepy and unpleasant and the story started coming to life something like that simplify it bring it in a little bit uh in kind of the same way and i mentioned this too that fear street did mm-hmm. where instead of just making it like oh the fear street books have come to life sort of making a whole movie that felt like a fear street book if the movie had felt more like scary stories to tell in the dark, like that sort of just like unease and dread and every once in a while, just an image that makes you like hide your eyes. I would have been a little more like, okay, okay. I really liked the scenes where they were reading the story that out loud as it was being written and we were mm-hmm. watching it happen. Yeah. Um, I thought those were really tense and done really well. And yeah. it would have been interesting if instead of the book writing itself, like you said, a couple days ago she had been the one writing the stories mm-hmm. and sarah bellos was sort of using her as a tool to kill people um because i think like, like you said i think that um this would have been really interesting as as sort of more of a if they had cut out all of the weird political stuff and normally i'm all about keeping the weird political stuff in movies because i think mm-hmm. it's important but they just tried to do too much I agree with you that they tried to do too much with this. Yeah, it's a little distracting. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I was like, you mean you could have changed, you could have changed the look of the monsters just mm-hmm. slightly, and you could have called this movie anything. Yeah, it wouldn't have been as people would. I don't even think people would have put together because the stories are so common, mm-hmm. like the big toe. It could have just been. You could have just called it. Uh, I was going to say Urban Legend, but there's already a series called Urban Legends. Uh, you could have called it like... I was a little confused by part of it because they make it clear that in the beginning, she's the one writing the stories. Mm-hmm. Sarabellus wrote stories and told them to kids. I was confused because besides the Herald thing... Well, I guess that was also sort of... Like, that story was just taken... Like, that could have been her original story, Sarah Bellis's original story. But the rest of them, besides maybe the toe thing as well, I don't know. But um, the other two were definitely not written by Sarah Bellis because one of them was just a dream that the guy had been having. That right, was turned it into a story. Existed. And the other one, it was made clear that Ramon had heard the story over a campfire. He said, oh, people used to tell me the story over the campfire and it used to really freak me out. So right. who's writing the stories and where is she getting them from? Yeah, is my who's, question. Whose stories are these? Because it's it's not entirely Sarah Bellis's at that point. Yeah. So why are they, why, 
the idea that she has this all this anger and rage poured into her writing and it's manifesting that makes sense why does it work with stories that don't belong to her i don't know i don't know <laughs> that's just, i don't know again i just think the movie tried too hard mm-hmm. i don't think it i don't think it needed to try half as hard as it did i think it needed maybe to mix in a few more stories Mm-hmm. And a few more monsters and a little up the creep factor. I'm not going to give it a thumbs down. I loved it. I still I, love it. I, I know a lot you of love it. Garbage about this movie while we're talking about it. And it definitely isn't like a high. It's not a title you would watch to be like, I am a movie connoisseur. It's a title you would watch <laughs> if you were like, I'm looking for something that's visually a bit frightening and, you know, has some good jokes and. It's something you watch, like you said, during a sleepover, and I like mm-hmm. movies like that. It is. It's a good sleepover movie. Uh, it's PG-13. It's not going to, you know, it'll scare a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and it made its, you know, it had a budget of about $28 million. It made $106 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. I wish I made that much money. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> so it did well, and uh, obviously that was enough for them to be like, all right, let's do another one. Uh, I'm sure the other one will come out. It won't do as well, and that'll be the end of it. But it'll give Andre Ovredal something to do. And uh, maybe they'll have worked out the kinks by then. Maybe Um, they'll listen to this episode of our podcast and be like, you know what, they're right. They're right. Uh, The music was good. It was done by Marco Beltrami, who did the music for Mimic. Um, Also, another movie by Guillermo del Toro that's not very good. He did the music. But I loved he did the music for the Scream movies. He did Blade 2. He did Hellboy. So, you know, it's got a good score. It yeah. looks nice. It looks like a, it's... It... Shoot, my mic fell. I don't know how long ago my mic fell. If I sounded like... <laughs> if I sounded terrible for the last however long, it's because my microphone fell. <laughs> you were slowly getting farther and farther away sounding, but I didn't understand what was going on, so I didn't say anything. Why didn't I notice it? My mic is like right in my face. It happened so gradually. I didn't even notice that my mic was like slowly falling. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to like trash it. This movie, this movie was not trying to be a major horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there is a movie that is trying to be a major horror film. Pinocchio. That Guillermo del Toro also only produced. And that came out last year that we're going to have to add to our list. What is it? Antlers. Oh, no. Antlers. Did you see Antlers? No. I purposefully Ant- didn't see it. Antlers. So add that to the list uh, for for upcoming movies. Because I think it's an important one on the Gambo Toro scale. It, uh, it, uh, he had a big hand in that one, too. But that is not our next movie. Do you know what our next movie is on the ecstasy of influence it's the one after mad max 2 it's sure very good <laughs> wow you figured that out all by yourself it is not a horror movie it is not a grown-up movie it's our first i believe family film is it our first family film we watched fantasia oh that's right we did watch fantasia no, no family should watch that <laughs> no one should watch that family film maybe fantastic <laughs> voyage was i saw that when i was a kid and liked it that was a little bit of a family film yeah i saw the final two episodes of torchwood when i was a kid and liked it that doesn't qualify as a family <laughs> <if> anything <laughs> next our next movie 1981's time bandits directed by the terrible terry gilliam but movie i like so uh uh, a very strange movie. So, Time Bandits. I'm going to spend the entire episode talking about what they could have done better. Who could have done better? The person who made Time Bandits. Oh, Even if it's a great movie, there's trash uh, it the whole time. I, I am sure most most of what I talk about will be talking about what Terry Gilliam could have done better in his movies and in his personal life. Uh, <laughs> time Bandits is a weird movie. So Is it as weird as the... Fifth configuration, fourth configuration, or the, hell the ninth configuration. Yeah, that um, one. <laughs> it is. It's up there. It's up there. It's got a dream cast. It's got David Rappaport. 
So is this another one of those movies where there's a like a ton of talent behind it, but then like something went wrong in the process? No, this is a movie that has a ton of talent behind it, and it became a it became an, a, a surprise hit uh, that everyone loved, and people were like, "This is a weird movie," but hey, it's got John Cleese, Sean Connery, Michael like Palin, Shelley Duvall's back, Catherine Hellman from Who's the Boss, Jim Broadbent when he was young. Kenny Baker, who plays R2-D2, but not playing R2-D2. It's got Didn't a lot of people. Did he die recently? He did die recently. He did die recently. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Ne- so, next time, uh, next time it's going to be uh, it's gonna be some time banditry. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Great. Uh, <laughs> Hi, everyone. See you later. Click. <laughs> uh, otherwise, you can find us on Twitter at, it's, uh, at Del Toro Time. Uh, I had some problems with the episodes this past week, but I got them all fixed. I had some problems with my other podcast episodes recently this week, but I had got them all fixed. It took me hours of work, but I did it because I'm amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, anything else to say to our lovely listeners? No. Don't get spooked, I guess, is the only advice I have. Uh, I'm Phil. If you find a mysterious book in a basement covered in dust and you've heard a ghost story about a woman who kills you with stories, don't, don't take the book. Don't. Just don't. Please don't. Just don't. <laughs> uh, and, but until you until you find that very special book in your life, I am Phil. Actually, no. Do what you, you do. keep. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you should do. You know what you should do if you find a mysterious basement filled with ghosts. You should bring a cone. Oh, I was thinking an ice cream cone. <laughs> I got very confused. It's like bring a cone. <laughs> it's because I just watched Princess Diaries, and there's a scene with an ice cream cone in it where she gets coned, and so that's where my head was. Uh, I wore that shirt yesterday, by the way. Princess Diaries. No, the one that says seances are stupid and this stupid cone proves it. Did anyone see this shirt? Yeah, I actually played that clip for my friend Molly and she laughed very hard. Very good. All right. (laughs) Well, I'm glad our show lives on in the hearts of the young. Um, Until next time, though, I am Phil. Actually, wait, no. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm joking. (laughs) I am Phil. And I'm Willow. And we'll see you when... It's Del Toro time. time.